we would go ahead and stand and we'll read the whole chapter, although we will not probably look at the whole chapter today. We'll probably get down through about verse 9 and try to finish, Lord willing, next week, Revelation chapter 16. Follow along with me as I read all 21 verses of Revelation 16. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. And they have, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch, the, scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over the plagues. And, the, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. <clears throat> For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of the God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided in, into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hell out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Heavenly Father, as we now start to look in this chapter, we pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our minds and help us to learn more about these uh, seven uh, vile or bold judgments that will be poured out upon the earth. Help us to realize the significance of them. And help us, Father, to turn to you with our whole heart to worship you so that we might not get in the way 
we might tell others about you and your and and your son Jesus who died for us. We pray, Lord, though, especially if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their own personal Savior, that they might turn to you and trust you and ask you for forgiveness of sin even now, today, before it's eternally too late. We pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. All right. Let me turn this thing off. It's getting warm up here. Now, you may have noticed a, a little similarity between these plagues, and these are called plagues, uh, as you may have noticed, and from our even uh, chapter 15, verse 1, which refers to them as the seven last plagues that are going to be poured out. There's a lot of similarity between these and, I believe, some other plagues in the Old Testament. You may recall back in Exodus, and if you want to look back there, I'll read a few verses here and there. In, starting in Exodus chapter 7, we'll look at a few uh, verses here and there between Exodus chapter 7 and, verse, and chapter 12. Starting in Exodus chapter 7, uh, these are the ten plagues that are associated with Moses when he was uh, getting ready to lead the people of Israel out of their captivity for, after 400 years of captivity in the nation of Egypt. And uh, you're very familiar with that story, I'm sure, at least uh, most all of you are. And uh, starting in verse 14 of chapter 7, Exodus 7:14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refused to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water. And thou shalt stand by the river's bank, brink uh, against uh, he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with a rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die. And the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And then in verse 22, And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. So when the water became blood, the magicians did something similar, at least, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, it tells us in verse 22. And then there was... The plague of frogs in uh, chapter 8, verse 2, it tells, And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And then in verse 15, we see again the, the response of Pharaoh. But when Pharaoh saw that it was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And then in verse 16, there's a plague of lice. In verse 19, it tells us, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And then in verse 21, you see the swarm of flies, the plague of flies that comes upon them. And then guess what happens in verse 32 of chapter 8? And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. And then in chapter 9, there was a plague on the, the Egyptian cattle. But the uh, Israelites, their cattle was spared. Then look at the response of Pharaoh in verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead 
And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and did not let the people go. And then there was the plague of boils and blains there in, uh, starting in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 9. Verse 9 I'll read. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And of course, we're told later that in verse 11, the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. They were so, and so much pain. And verse 12, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them. And then you'll see uh, chapters uh, 10 and 11 and 12, again and again, God brought forth plagues upon the nation of Egypt and the response of Pharaoh with continually hardening of his heart. What we have in Revelation 16 is basically the same sort of thing. We have a series of plagues, a series of blows. Remember, that's what the word plague means. It doesn't necessarily mean disease like what we might think of. It means a blow or a strike against uh, someone, and that's what God says in Revelation 15:1 that these are going to be the seven last blows that he's going to strike on the earth against Antichrist, the dragon, and the false prophet. And so uh, these, in turn, are going to have much the same effect, the same result as uh, we saw in the, the plagues against the land of Egypt. And, and the, we're going to just see the hearts of men uh, growing harder and harder with each plague because they refuse to repent and give God glory even though that's his desire. Even all the way up to this point in time, he is desiring that people would repent and turn to him, but yet people just get harder and harder their hearts. It shows you the seriousness of sin, for one thing. I think that's one of the lessons we can learn from Revelation chapter 16. And I hope you remember the chronology here of where we're at in the whole grand scheme of things. In the study of eschatology or the study of end times, we're down to the very end of time on earth as we know it. Remember, there's the study uh, or the, 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 the scroll that had the seven seals on it, and the Lamb of God comes and takes the, the seven-sealed scroll away from the hand of God, and he starts breaking the seals. And as he does, judgment is poured out upon the earth one by one. And then when the seventh one is broken, seven angels come forth, and they start sounding trumpets, and, and more plagues or more judgment falls upon the earth. And then... When the seventh trumpet is blown, there's nothing that's talked about as happening except for it leads us into these seven bowl or vile judgments. Therefore, it is believed based upon that description and that understanding of the sequence of events in here that there's a telescoping type effect, one through six. And then when the seventh one occurs, that releases seven more things. And when that seventh one that seventh trumpet is sound, that causes seven bowl or vials to be poured out upon the earth. That's where we're at. And when these occur, these seven things that occur right here in chapter 16, guess what's the very next event on the prophetic uh, calendar here? That is the actual second coming of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that is the end of the battle of Armageddon as uh, most people like to refer to it. You may have noticed there in the, this chapter we read about Armageddon and the, the drying up the, of the Euphrates River. 
making a way for people to gather there at uh, the Valley of Megiddo in northern Israel. So that's what's happening here. That's our timetable. And I believe we need to realize the, the finality and the severity of these bowl or these vile judgments. Now, Revelation is probably the hardest passages I've ever tried to outline. I try to give you an outline so you can follow me a little better. But I'll tell you, even in the, the various commentaries that I have and, and so forth, uh, most people just don't do much of an outline at all. They just kind of talk, it seems like. And uh, so I'm trying to put something together there for you in your outline that you can kind of follow along maybe a little better and see the sequence. We see in verse 1 several different things, I believe, about the bold and the vile judgments that are going to be poured out upon the earth. The first thing I noticed in verse 1 was the authority associated with the, the vile or the, the bold judgments. Now notice the quality of this command that comes forth in, in verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. I noticed the quality of the command, if you want to call it that. It comes from a great voice. The, world there, the word there is mega, and it means large, huge, great. It's often translated that way. Sometimes it's translated as loud. It depends on what the word is modifying. You know, if we said this is a, a great pulpit, by most standards it is pretty large, isn't it? That's what we're meaning by a mega pulpit type thing. And it's the same idea with this word here. And, of course, it's talking about a voice, so sometimes some translations will say, and I heard a loud voice, which is a very appropriate rendering of that particular word. So, again, this is a common description or understanding of, of uh, the voice of God himself. As you see God speaking in various places in the Bible, you will see it described in like wording as you see right here. So uh, that has led many people to believe that this is the very voice of God that is, that is speaking here. Plus the fact that Revelation 15 verse 8 said that no man could go in the temple anymore. So, and where does this great, loud a voice come from? From the temple. So who's left in the temple? No one but God himself. And remember again, the word there is naas, which has to do with the holy of holies, the very seat in which God himself sits. Okay, so again, those two facts, the quality of the command and the location of the command uh, uh, makes it pretty much unanimous among commentators that this is God himself that is behind the authority giving this command to pour out these seven bowl or vile judgments upon the earth. Now, the agents that are used in these bowl or vile judgments is the second thing that I see here, that the command, this great voice, commands seven beings, seven angels, to go forth and pour out these bowls or these vials. Remember, it's a saucer type thing. It's kind of like the offering plate that was uh, here. That's the actual description of this particular word. It's something more flat uh, and round. You might think of it like a saucepan type thing instead of some long, tall, cylindrical type shape. This is what's being described here, something that can be poured out very rapidly. Have you ever tried to pour out a gallon of milk or something rapidly in a milk jug and you hear it and all that because it's trying to get air? Well, that's not what's being pictured here. If you uh, try to pour something out of uh, like the offering plate or a, 
or out of a frying pan or something, it pours out very fast, doesn't it? If you ever drop one, you'll know how fast things can come out of there. And that's what's being portrayed right here. The agents, though, again, has to do with seven angels. We've seen angels throughout the book of Revelation from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22. We see angels, angels, angels being involved in the judgment upon the earth. And we've seen angels in the Old Testament being used by God. Uh, For example, when uh, God destroyed two wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and and the uh, area around them, when they were destroyed, it made it very clear. God employed angels to uh, bring about that judgment upon those cities. So this shouldn't be surprising to us that God would use uh, the agents of angels here to bring about this particular wrath or this judgment at this time. Thirdly, we see the acceleration of the the vile or bold judgments upon the earth. Notice in verse 1, the command is given to all seven angels at the same time. It's not like you go do your thing, and then after he gets done, there's another command. Now you pour out yours, and then after he gets done, there's another one, another command. You go and pour out yours. It's given all at the same time to all seven. That indicates to me a rapid fire uh, 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 succession of these bowl or vile judgments that are going to pour out upon the earth. Plus, I believe that is the natural reading. Did you not feel a kind of a fast pace pouring out here as we read through chapter 16? And therefore, that is, again, left most commentators with, uh, uh, with that conclusion that these are all going to be rapid fire uh, in, in their sequence their, and how fast that these things are going to be uh, poured out upon the earth. That's, uh, I mentioned even last week that I believe these are coming down time-wise perhaps to the last days or weeks, perhaps months of the tribulation period. Remember the tribulation period is a time of seven years divided in two three-and-a-half-year periods, according to the Bible. Now, uh, of Tim LaHaye, of uh, the Left Behind fame, uh, this is one point I would disagree with him. He thinks we are now at the three-and-a-half-year point, and these seven bowl or vile judgments occur over the entire last three-and-a-half years. This is not something, you know, you, you, you break up friendships and call somebody a heretic if they disagree on the timing of things. But that was one thing I would uh, disagree with him and, and, and his writings and so forth. Uh, and there's one other thing that I would take issue with him, but uh, I won't go into that at this particular time. Uh, but anyway, we see the authority of the bowl or vile judgments. We see the agents involved in the bowl and vile judgments. Thirdly, we see the acceleration. These things are going to be very fast-paced. That is the conclusion by most commentators and uh, people who have studied the book of Revelation. And fourthly, I see, uh, trying to stick with the A words here, so make it hopefully easier for you to remember, the acuteness of the bowl or vile judgments. Now, the word acute, uh, we could ask Miss Amy here, since she's in the medical field, and you're you're in the medical field too, right? We're talking about something usually when people ask you, I hate it when doctors ask me this, is that a sharp pain or a dull pain? All I know is it's pain, right? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is it? I hate those kind of questions, you know. It's bad or I wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, 
Uh, but anyway, when we talk about acute pain, they're talking about something that's pretty sharp and, and severe or intense would be the word here. And that's really the point I'm trying to get to here uh, is this is very intense, these bold or vile judgments that are going to uh, be poured out here. So the intensity of these are what I'm trying to stress. Both the seal and the trumpet judgments were severe too, but I believe the severity here is brought up a whole nother notch when we start talking about these bold and vile judgments. So that's, again, why I'm talking about the acuteness, the severity, the intensity of the bold and vile judgments are seen here in this chapter. Now, there are some similarities between the trumpet judgments and these bold judgments in the fact that the first of each uh, deal with the earth. Uh, however, there are some uh, dissimilarities or, or uh, major differences as well. For example, uh, the, the trumpet judgment, the first trumpet judgment, and then this one, they, they're both dealing with, with the earth. However, uh, one is dealing with all the green vegetation, the trumpet judgment, whereas this is falling upon actual people. Okay? Both the second ones of each that deal with the sea. The third of each deals with the fresh water supply. The fourth of both deals with the sun. The fifth of each uh, affects the sun shine on the earth and uh, darkness in particular. Uh, number six, uh, they both uh, deal with the Euphrates River. Uh, the seventh of each uh, involve or speaks of lightnings and thunders and earthquakes and so forth. And that has led some to conclude that they're one and the same. It's just repeating in a different way, talking about it from a different point of view uh, or something like that. I don't uh, agree with that because of the, the striking differences that are involved uh, or seen between the two. That you may, know, may have noticed before that the trumpet judgments only deal with one-third of the earth, one-third of the sea, one-third of the sun, and so forth. It talks about on and on there in that particular uh, chapter, chapter 8 is where that's at. Whereas these are, uh, the bold judgments here are universal in scope and, uh, and that's the major difference that you'll see here and the intensity of these are again greater. Now you may have, may have picked up on it uh, upon our reading here but you, there's a word that is repeated 11 times in this particular chapter. And it's the word mega or great, uh, as it's often translated here. In verse uh, 1 and 17, it talks about a great voice. In verse 9, it talks about a great heat. Uh, verse 12, a great uh, river Euphrates. Verse 14, the great day of God Almighty. Verse 18, talks about a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. Uh, verse 19, the great city of Babylon. Verse 21, talks about great hailstones. And the plague there was exceedingly great. Uh, this repetition of great, 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 mega is again the word, emphasizes the intensity and the unprecedented nature of these particular bold or vile judgments. I believe that these are going to be the severest of all the judgments that have ever fallen upon the earth. God escalates things. He's tried to get people to repent, to see their sinfulness. 
he pours out various judgments, and he has throughout history, and I believe he still does even today, at times judge and call certain things to happen, hoping that people will turn to him, and then the same thing's going to happen here during the tribulation time. These three different sets of sevens, when he comes down to this one, he's very serious. And the, the punishment has escalated at this particular point in time. So we see, again, the intensity here of these particular judgments that are falling upon the earth, the, the acuteness, if you want to use the A word again. And number five, I believe we also see the age or the, the timing of these bold and vile judgments. And verse 19, or 17 there, you'll notice three little words, it is done. And now that, I believe, corresponds to, again, chapter 15, verse 1, which we looked at last week. And we pointed out there two particular phrases and where it talks about and this, uh, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up or completed the wrath of God. These go together with uh, the verse 17 there. It is done. As we noted last week, last implies that the vile judgments come after the seven seal and the seven trumpet judgments last as in a sequence of events that are going to occur. And it also uh, indicates to me that these are going to conclude what God's trying to do on the earth at that particular point in time. And they are going to come again to me at the very tail end of the tribulation period. And, and it's going to be, God's going to use, in other words, the seal and the trumpet judgments to strike blows at Satan, at Antichrist, and the false prophet. But as I mentioned last week, and trying to use the boxing analogy, these are going to be the knockout punch that's going to do away with Satan and the false prophet. And and so as uh, we read in verse 17, that again corresponds. It is done. He, uh, God says there, this great voice speaks out once again. It is done, he says. And again, uh, again I believe that uh, is very uh, comparable to it is finished. And who said that? Jesus Christ when he was on the cross, remember? And right before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished, signifying that his work his life on this earth is over, is completed. His substitutionary work in particular was complete. There was nothing left for him to really do. And that's the same kind of idea as being talked about here. Now notice where it says it is done. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial, and then that's when God said, It is done. In other words, everything is completed at this point. Again, the very next thing on the prophetic calendar is the actual second coming of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm saying that we're at the end of time as we know it here upon the earth. And Christ is getting ready to step and place his foot back on the Mount of Olives and establish his millennial kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years. That's where we're at. In history now, when will that? Uh, when will the revelation here talk about that actual event? That's in chapter 19. So obviously, we're going to have a little bit more. Chapter 17 and chapter 18. So what happens in those two chapters? 
That, I believe, is where we're going to step back in time and there's going to be further explanation of the actual destruction of Babylon or the, uh, the empire of Antichrist. We're going to get some details. So a little break or a little parenthesis in the chronological flow of events in the book of Revelation. Does that make good sense to you? So you could say right after chapter 16, if you're doing a timeline, you would go straight to chapter 19 and the second coming of Christ there. All right, so that will give you an idea of where we're going to get in chapter 17 and 18. Some information about the destruction of Antichrist's empire. Okay, so that gave us the age or the timing of the bowl or vile judgments. And number six, I refer to as the accounting or the explanation of the events, the actual bowl or vile judgments as they're poured out. Today I thought we would just look at the first few of those, about the first four, uh, if we have time, and then we'll pick up with uh, five, six, and seven next week, Lord willing, okay? So we see the accounting of the bowl or vile judgments beginning uh, uh, here. Uh, and uh, the, the first bowl uh, results in painful sores being poured out upon mankind. Notice here it tells us that they are noisome and grievous uh, sores that are going to be poured out. And who are they poured out upon? And read carefully there. Is it everybody that's, that happens to be breathing at that particular point in time? No, it tells us very clearly on the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. I believe God's people, once again, are spared from this particular uh, judgment, uh, this vial as it's being poured out. Noisome has the idea of evil or injurious, uh, has a crippling effect upon the people that get these sores, grievous. Uh, it's believed that that indicates that they will be active or malignant in nature, that there will be a growing type of sore. That's what malignant means, right? So uh, that's what uh, people believe here. And, of course, the word sore itself is, is basically the word ulcer. It's an ulcer, oozing, growing, pussy-type sore. Nasty, in other words, right? You don't want them. It's the same sort of sores that Job had on his body, you may recall. And also, it's interesting to me, the, uh, the translation of the Hebrew back in Exodus where they had the plague of boils, remember that we just read about? This is the same word when they translated that into Greek that they use right here. So it's, it's evidently at least similar to, if not identical with, the boils that fell upon the Egyptians during the time of Moses there. All right? So that's what happens with the first bowl, painful sores, boils, if you want to call it that. And then the second bowl uh, results in the seas being smitten. And the, the Greek here is very uh, graphic talking about the, the sea uh, becoming blood as of a dead man. And when you think of a dead man's blood, I, I realize, I don't, I don't mean to be gross, it's, it's noon and we're, we'll have a snack time here in a little while. And some that won't stick around will probably go and eat something for lunch. So I'm not trying to be gross here, but, but I feel like I need to be it's somewhat gross. Uh, if, if you understand what the blood of a dead man is like, that's what the seas are going to turn into. In other words, something very thick, dark, 
coagulated type blood is going to be what the seeds will look like or be exactly like. And as a result, it tells us what's going to happen to the sea creatures. They die. How many of them die? All of them. Can you imagine the seas around the whole world, which that's the most of the world, you think about it, is salt water. And every living thing in all the seas around the whole world, this is global catastrophe here we're talking about. They all die. And I don't know if they rise or sink or whatever, but things will evidently be washed up on shore and so forth. What's it going to be like at that particular time? The stench is going to be horrible. Just the water that's turned to blood itself will be horrible. That's exactly the same sort of thing that happened back there in Exodus that we read about. Remember when the water of the Nile River turned to blood, it said, and the fish died, and it referred to a horrible stench. But that was the only water source they had. And yet the people had to still drink some sort of fluid and it tells that the people loathed to drink that water back in Egypt. That's what it's going to be like here. Folks, the second bowl will smite the seas. It's going to be horrible when that happens. The third bowl uh, will smite the rivers or the fresh water supply is what it tells us uh, uh, here in, in Revelation verses 4 through 7. Again, there is no limit. This is a global, and this will have worldwide devastating effects. Can you imagine? All the salt water is polluted, turned to blood. All the fresh water, the China, the Salcha, all the other rivers around in this area, all the springs, everything turns to blood also. Thick, dark, coagulated type thing, what are you going to do? Remember, people are covered with sores. How are they going to wash and, and cleanse their sores and get any sort of comfort? What are you going to drink? You see what, one reason why I think this is going to have to be a relatively short period. How long can people live under those sort of conditions? Three and a half years? I find that hard to imagine. I mean, I know God could make it so... People just live on under those conditions, but it doesn't seem likely to me that that was the way it's going to be. That's what's going to happen. There will not be any fresh water upon the whole earth unless perhaps uh, if God were to choose to spare somewhere. So the bottled water, you can imagine how fast that would sell out at the grocery store and Sam's Club and those places. If that even remains pure, I don't know if it would or not, but, uh, but it would all run out in very short order. And uh, so that's what's going to happen here with this third bowl or vial that, uh, as God pours out his judgment upon the earth. And notice here in verse 5, it refers to the angel of the waters, which seems to indicate that there's a specific angel that has a specific responsibility or duty to watch over the, the waters of the earth. That's his like assigned job or task, evidently. That's what it would indicate here. Now notice he makes an important statement vindicating the holiness of God and he also sets forth the reason in verses 5 and 6 for this particular judgment. He tells us in verse 6 that this judgment is poured out upon the earth because 
the people, the rebellious and apostate people, have slain the shed blood of believers. And therefore, they are going to receive just punishment or punishment that is fitting for their crime. Talking about the punishment fitting the crime, this is it. You see, these people have been bloodthirsty. They've been killing all the Christians, as many as they can get a hold of, persecuting them, killing them, starving them to death, all the things because no man is allowed to buy or sell that would not receive the mark of the beast, we're told earlier. And therefore, because they are bloodthirsty, God says, you're bloodthirsty, here's some blood to drink. All the seas will be blood. All the fresh water will turn to blood. Have your fill. It's a just punishment for the crime. Again, the shedding of blood of believers will be without parallel during the tribulation period. Thus, God's going to punish them by making them have only blood to drink. And then we see the fourth bowl, which results in scorching heat upon the earth. Rather than the strength of the sun being diminished by one-third, as it was during the fourth trumpet, here it's just the opposite, and the sun gets hotter and hotter to the point where you talk. Now, I'm light-complected, as you can tell. You know, If I had hair, it would be kind of reddish, this kind of thin. And you, know, you can probably see some freckles here and there and that sort of thing. Uh, it's one good thing about living in Alaska. You know, it's cooler here. I don't like the heat. You know what I mean? So you guys that get sunburned really easy, you know, my, my dad and my older brother are dark-complected, jet black hair, that sort of thing. They don't get burned too easy. Uh, fortunately, my wife's more dark-complected, and my kids tend to be dark-complected, so they don't get sunburned too often. But for me, especially when I was a kid, almost all I had to do was go out for a little while, and I would be blistered, so to speak. You know, it's very painful, isn't it? Now... Can you imagine what it's going to be like here? The sun's rays are going to really beat down at this particular time. The sun's going to get hotter. How much hotter? We're not told. It's going to be enough, though, to give people the worst sunburns they've ever had in their life. I can only imagine the light-complected people are going to be even worse if, than the darker-complected people at this time. But it's going to scorch, and, and this word is not in, in the King James here, but it says it will scorch the men with fire. Again, indicating that there's going to be a select group of people by the, having the definite article, the men, indicates that there will be a definite group of people that are going to be burned with fire. And evidently, others will be spared. Who would be spared? Those that did not worship the beast or take his image or the number of his name uh, in them. So... That's what it's talking about here. Again, specifying a particular group that will be punished and another group, I believe, that will be spared. Uh, so, what's the people's response to all of this? I mean, the, the painful sores, the water, the fresh water, and the seawater, and so forth, all these things that are happening. Look at verse 9. And this is just amazing to me. And this is why we went back and looked really at, at the passage in Exodus and how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And look what happens in verse 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, 
and they repented not to give him glory. You see, the people's heart just became harder. Like Pharaoh and his people, they refused to repent. This demonstrates to me that they clearly, the people at this time, will clearly recognize the source of these plagues as being from none other than God himself. Yet even though they know, without any doubt, that this is judgment from God himself, they will not repent and give him glory. And they blaspheme God instead. Can you imagine that? God in his love and mercy, and he has been so loving and merciful. We've seen that throughout our study here. And that, again, I believe is why he's been gradually incrementing these things up, trying to get people to repent of their sins and turn to him. They just continue to be hard-hearted toward him, stiff-necked is the word in the Old Testament. That's the way people respond. And yet, even now, he brings up, ramps up the intensity here like never before, hoping still that people would repent and turn to him, yet people refuse and instead blaspheme him. They clearly recognize the source of the plagues, yet because they are so hardened, they refuse to repent and turn to him. This should be an awful warning for us. Now, I know this is uh, probably a message that's geared more toward uh, the unsaved because this is who's going to be going through this, obviously. But there should be a warning for us as believers, especially about the seriousness of sin. You know, people love their sin, don't they? The Bible makes that clear. It talks about that in other places. But people love their sin and they don't want to give it up no matter what. Even when God punishes and chastises trying to get people to give up their sin. Sin can lead one to become negative even toward God himself and blaspheme his name. That's hard to imagine, but that's why the Christian should not toy around with sin at all. Sin can cause an individual to grow indifferent to his word and it can cause one to ignore the ministry of conviction that the Holy Spirit has upon them. You understand, they knew God was in this. And yet they refuse to repent anyhow. If you're here and you're a Christian, you need to realize sin is serious. Don't toy around with it. It can harden or callous your heart to the point where you're not responsive to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're here and you're unsaved, you need to, to realize, too, the seriousness of sin. The consequences of sin, the Bible tells us in another verse in Romans, the wages of sin is <clears throat> death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we deserve. For the Christian, realize the seriousness of sin. For the unsaved, you too need to realize the serious consequences of sin in your life. You need to trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. We cannot wash away the sins on our own. The Bible makes that clear. None of us can. None of us are good enough. We all fall short of the glory of God, it tells us. Therefore, it is only by His shed blood that we might have forgiveness of sin. The, the holy, sinless Jesus Christ died to pay the payment of our sin. And we need to put our faith and trust in His work on the cross of Calvary. We're, we're, 
Would you bow with me now as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we can read and we can study here in the book of Revelation. And Lord, it's not a message that is necessarily pleasant to, to even talk about, to think about the horrible judgment that will befall the earth during this time of the tribulation. So we pray, Lord, that you just... He's not at the Hilton. He's, he's uh, exiled on an island called Patmos, remember? We need to tell people the truth when we witness to them. And that's what these people... ...as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered.